Yes, what's up, buddy? Do you know the Tyrannosaurus Rex? Most people think that it goes 45 or 50 miles per hour. Scientists discovered it goes under 15 miles per hour. Uh-huh. Dad? Hey, Dad. Dad. I need 300 bucks for my Dad. prom dress. Is that okay? Dad. Uh-huh. Do okay, you know thanks. the Triceratops is the toughest herbivore of the Cretaceous period? Uh-huh. Dad, Dad, can you please help me with my calculus homework? Dad. I'm really stressing out over it. Did you know that the Brachiosaurus could die? Okay, these kids are driving me crazy. When do I get to drive them crazy? Hey, Father's Day. Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. Did you know that from 1938 to 1968, the Federal National Mortgage Association was the sole institution that bought mortgages from depository institutions, principally savings and loan associations, which encouraged more mortgage lending and effectively ensured the value of mortgages by the U.S. government? Uh, no. So, Father's Day. Wanna do anything? Um, I'm gonna be annoying the kids all day. Oh. Need any help? There you are. I never got to finish telling you my story from the office the other day. It was so cool. Oh, am gosh. Brandon? Are we there yet? I'm not gonna bore you with all the details. Just most of them. Okay, so anyway. And finally, Jimmy comes up behind me. And he goes, you got the hiccups, man. You know what I do to cure hiccups? What I do is I go, a staple gun. I need that staple gun. That's it. That's the sta- It comes with free staples. It comes with free staples. No, the file. Brandon, give me the file. I want the file. You never get me anything. A skill saw. Potty break. I gotta go potty. Hey, everybody. I know her. I know her, everybody. My daughter. Don't drive your kids crazy, but have the Father's Day of your dreams. Brandon. Brandon. Mm-hmm. Brandon, listen. I was having a bad dream. Um, can I jump in bed with you? Mm-hmm. Okay. There's our strategy. So what's wrong with a little childish behavior? And one of the things we realize as we become adults that our lives are to provide a pathway toward maturity and not keep our kids running in that immaturity. And so this morning, I want us to focus on probably one of the toughest places, one of the most difficult places for us to be mature, even as adults. This part of our life is the toughest part of our life to control. And it's the easiest place for us to sin. In fact, it's so great a concern that the first century bishop of Jerusalem mentioned it many times in his letter to those 
Christ followers who were scattered through the eastern Mediterranean. He's going to make it clear to them and to us this morning that our faith will inevitably be demonstrated by our control of this part of our life. In fact, in describing it, James says this. He says that this part of our life, we call it an unruly member. And the wording actually means this. It means an animal that is fiercely battling against its constraints. He said, this thing is an unruly member, and it's really difficult to control. It's like the two ladies that are standing at the school bus stop waiting for the children to arrive, and you overhear them, and one is saying, really, really, are you kidding? Really? you serious? Really? Tell me more. And the other one responds, but I've already told you more than I heard. There is this battle for control, and it centers in the place that we call the heart. And we described this to you several weeks ago, that we have this, this body that we recognize. And, and the way the body understands the world around it is through the five senses that God has given us. What you see, you hear, you taste, you smell, you touch. It is how we discern what is in the world. And in fact, the way God designed us so that we can enjoy his creation. But it is also the gateway for our temptations. Then we also have what we call the spirit. The spirit within us, that that part of our life, is that which discerns the divine. It's how we recognize that there is a divinity. There's more than just our body. There is this sense of God. It's the way that we understand God. It's the way that we hear God. It's the way that we communicate with God. Then we have what we call our soul. This is the center of our personality. It's also what we call the heart. When we say, I love you with my whole heart, it's, it's that part of us. It is the center of our will, our emotions, and our intellect. The heart is what makes us self-conscious about the physical world and the spiritual world. And it takes in all of that data that it receives about what's happening in the world that we see and the world that we don't see, and it decides what is truth and what the heart decides is how we act. With that in mind, James says, I want to tell you about this uncontrolled animal. And he says it's simply this. It's the tongue. What's on the tongue reveals what's deep in the heart and how much influence the body or the spirit has. I knew a man who was absolute genius. Man was absolutely brilliant but he couldn't hold a job. In fact, he would begin to succeed in life, and then suddenly he would just get fired. Suddenly, the project would fall apart, and we began to realize that he was actually sabotaging himself so that he would fail. And after a lot of conversation with him, we discovered that as he was growing up, his father belittled him continuously with his words and kept telling him that you will never amount to much, you will never amount to much, you will never amount to much, and so that when he began to succeed, this brilliant man, those words still stuck in his soul, in his heart, and he acted accordingly. James wants us to know this morning that words teach and that we should limit them or they will limit others. We live in a generation that is looking for wise teachers, and it was the same thing in that first century with these scattered gatherings of Christ followers throughout the eastern Mediterranean. They had no leadership with them, so people were rising up saying, oh, I'll teach you, I'll teach you, I'll teach you. 
And to that, James then gives this counsel. James, the third chapter, says this, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. So many, many years ago, when Christy, our, our daughter, was a toddler, I was driving down a busy street and she was strapped into her car seat. And evidently, as I remember the story, there was someone in front of me that just was not going fast enough. And I must have become a little bit frustrated. And suddenly, Christy from her car seat, never had ever done anything like this before, screamed out at the top of her lungs, get out of the way, turkey! <laughs> and so, just like, I laughed. And then I had this, this horrific revelation. And I think you as parents, any of you that are parents, understand that this sometimes will, will hit you. You'll go, well, wait a minute. I know where those words came from. Obviously from Pam, but... <laughs> I know where those words came from. James is saying the greater the influence, the greater the judgment of our words. In fact, Jesus made it very clear that words are not just throwaway noises. For Jesus said, and Matthew recorded it, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you the truth, or I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day. Now catch this, this is Jesus speaking. You must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. He said, you're going to be judged on every idle word. Let me give you three definitions of that word. First of all, the word idle there can mean lazy. Is it a lazy word? Is it a word that you just threw out without thinking? Is it a word that actually processed through the spirit? Where the spirit filtered it and said, yeah, 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 that's good. You, you get to the spot, you go, well, I don't even know why I said that. I'll tell you why he said it, because you didn't pass it through the spirit side of life. Is it idle? Is it lazy? Is it a useless word? Can the listener take that word and be encouraged and be healed? Let me give you an illustration of that, and it's just a simple thing, but you're invited to a party and a gathering of people, and so you go, and as you walk in, someone says to you, oh, man, they let anybody in here. Now, you laugh about it, but inside you go, hey, why? Wait, wait a minute. Contrast that if you show up and somebody comes up to you and says, I am so glad you're here. I was hoping you'd be here. Is it a useless word? Will this be a barren word? Will it bring life? Will it bring death? You get frustrated and just out of your mouth suddenly flows the word to your child as you walk away and he hears it. You idiot. How much better would the words have been you know, I, I realize what you just did, and, and you don't usually do this, so I really don't think this is really you right now, because the way you did it before is really you. So what's going on with you? Is there something I can help you with? What's going on in your life? Bottom line is this. With the words we speak, does God applaud? Does he say, yeah, 
Those are great words. Because he said, if it's not applauded, it will be condemned. It will be judged. You say, but wait, those are just words. But Jesus says this, for out of the overflow of the heart, out of here, the mouth speaks. Those words that you spoke did not just squeak out by accident. They just didn't, oh, I didn't mean that. In fact, what Jesus says is that the words we speak are oozing out of us already. Whenever I go on a trip and I just want to take a a carry-on bag, I've got to be careful and I have to limit what I take. So there's none of, okay, I think I'll just throw this in and I'll throw this in and I'll throw this in. When I pack that bag, what I take must be useful. It has to be strategic. So I put in there what is useful, knowing this, that it probably will be inspected. Someone's going to look through it, so I want to make sure that what they see, I want them to see. In fact, some of my private things have to go in a transparent bag for them to see. And if there are some things, some contraband that I'm about to take on that plane, there, and many airports are these signs that say, you can't take these things with you. If you've got them, you can dump them there, and there's a barrel there that you can dump the contraband. I want to encourage us this morning that we rethink how we pack our words. That as we go through a day, we look at the package of our words and say, okay, not everything can go. We must limit ourselves. So I'm only going to take those words that will be useful. Because I know that when I go through this day with this packing of words, God will inspect those words. Every single word. That even my private words should be transparent. And that perhaps as I start through the day that I need to go through and see if I have any words that are useless, that are lazy, that are barren, and I dump them in the contraband. Words teach, and we must limit them. Words control, so we have to control them. Recently, you may have read this in the news media, the president of Ohio State resigned because he had been caught in using uncontrolled words. He had made some very derogatory remarks regarding Notre Dame and Roman Catholic priesthood. And so he resigned. They said it was for other reasons, but it was obvious that this had something to do with it. James tells us that if we can control our words, then the rest of our life will be in check. In fact, here's what he says. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. So when Pam and I were were married, first married in 1976, we were children of the 70s. 
we had this little apartment, and, and she was gone, and I, living at home, so I was decorating it, and, and so I had no money, so I decorated it from borrowed pieces. And so I decorated the, the floor with 70s theme. I found somebody getting rid of shag carpet. Remember shag carpet that you raked? Remember those? Yeah. And little did I know it was prophetic because the color was black and gold. I should have known. And so then we also had, well, it wasn't French provincial furniture. It was early borrowed furniture, and none, none of it matched. And then Pam decorated by, if you may remember this, macrame, jute things. And so she, she made these owls with driftwood at the base. It was so far out. And somebody gave us a hanging, a, a candle hanging made out of jute that hung from the ceiling. You put a little screw in the ceiling and it hung, hang down, hung down, and then it, it cradled this massive candle that they had homemade with, with an outer exterior of sand. Remember those? With like four or five wicks in the thing? We were so cool. So one day, after we just had moved into the apartment, she lit the candle to give us some ambiance and turned on the little window air conditioner, and the wind blew the flame against the jute. <laughs> Suddenly, I hear this noise. Pam goes, fire, 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 fire. Sounded just like that. <laughs> and I turn around, and this whole jute thing is on fire, and she's standing there, putting it out by going like this. Fire, fire, fire. <laughs> she was in shock. She had no idea how it happened or what she was going to do to get that fire out. We did get the fire out. But she was just shocked. Now, here's what James says. He says, why are you so surprised when the careless words that you use suddenly start a raging inferno? And you don't know how to put it out. And you say, no, 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 I didn't mean those words. Or, or, or I was just kidding. It was just a joke. He said, do you realize that words are small, but they can create a firestorm? Words are small, but control our lives. Said you can take a bit and put it in a horse's mouth and that massive animal can be led to where you want it to go. You can take a large ship and put a small rudder on it and you can guide it to where you want to go. And you can take just a, a small word and, and it'll be like a spark. And suddenly you have this raging inferno. The tongue can turn brother against brother and neighbor against neighbor and nation against nation. He said it's like all the wickedness of the world somehow collects on this little piece of flesh. Honestly, there are very few sins I know of that don't involve the mouth and the tongue. The heart will corrupt the whole person, and the whole course of our lives will be set on fire. And he said its inspiration is hell itself, the place that Satan is destined to host. And uncontrolled words come from that source. So let me say it again. Our uncontrolled words come from that source. Our words control. Therefore, we need to control our words. The words are unruly. So we've got to tame them. In a former church, we got a call in the middle of the night that there was a break-in in the church. And so the police had arrived, and some of our leaders had shown up there in the middle of the night, and, 
And instead of going through the building room by room by room, it was a rather large building, room by room, the police called in another policeman with his police dog. And so they let the dog loose in the building, and the rest of the cops were following this guy who had the dog, and, and they're weaving their way through the building as, as the dog gets the scent, and he goes down the steps into a restroom. The cop opens up the restroom door and says, turn yourself in, I have a dog here. He explains what's going to happen. The guy just doesn't say a word because actually he's in a stall, standing on a toilet seat with his shoes stuffed in the toilet, hoping the dog won't pick up a scent. The cop lets the dog in. The dog goes under the, the stall and grabs hold of this guy's leg and begins to shake. The man starts to scream, and he's screaming to the dog, let go, let go, let go, and the dog not letting go. Finally, he just screams enough, the cops go in, and the guy who has the dog gives a command, and the dog stops immediately, walks over next to him, sits down, looks up like, how do we do? They control the guy, they take him out. Now, at one moment, you have this creature that seems to be out of control and incredibly dangerous, and at the next moment, you have a companion. Why? Because he's been tamed by his handler. And James says, you've got to do the same thing with your words. Can we do that? It's difficult. I mean, you know, you know that, that you've got words inside of you and you know you shouldn't speak them, but they just keep building up and you go, oh, I can't help it, I've got to say this, I've got to say this. And then it just it comes out like, you know, if God didn't want me to say that, he shouldn't have put those words in there. So James says, listen, people can tame all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and it's evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come, pouring out from the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Can we control our words? It just seems impossible. So we stand here today, and we had this wonderful worship expression, and we're telling God how much we love him and, and how much we adore him. And, and John says, even use your own words to describe to God. And so we're doing this and singing words to him, and yet we'll leave this place, and some of us may end up at work tomorrow finding that poisonous words are ex exiting our mouths towards coworkers. Somebody made in the image of God that we worship today. So can blessing and cursing come from the same source? Can salt water and fresh water come from the same spring? Can a fig come from a grapevine? So hear me clearly this morning. Jesus is telling us that if we follow him, controlling our words is a defining characteristic of those who follow Jesus. Those who truly follow Jesus control their words. So the question is, if James says that it's really difficult, because it is, then how do we do that? I want to give you two simple steps this morning. They're not easy steps, but they're simple. And it's based upon what the psalmist David would use as his filter. For David said this, let the words of my mouth 
and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So let's go back to the heart. And in the heart, let's make Jesus supervisor. That what you process through, as you take what the physical realm tells you and your body says, here's what I see, I taste, this is what I'm feeling, and the spiritual realm says, hey, hey, this is what God's doing in the spiritual realm and what he's telling you, process that stuff together and then bring it to this place that you say, okay, Jesus, you supervise this. So that I take captive every thought and I give it to Jesus. Every thought. Jesus, how are we doing with that? that I submit every emotion. There's a saying that says feelings are neither right nor wrong, they just are. Okay. But let's take those emotions and say, Jesus, I'm feeling really, really, really angry. What do I do with this? Let's yield our wills to his. Say, here's what I want to do, but here's what I think your spirit is telling my spirit, so I will yield to you. Start there. Because if we're followers of Jesus, that's what we do. Then secondly, on my tongue, I authorize God as inspector. Every word that comes off my tongue, I want God to say, Reisner, that was so good exactly what I created you to do. God enjoys doing that because if you'll follow the life of Jesus, you'll find periodically that as Jesus did and spoke what God wanted, God would show up and say, oh, this is my son. And I'm very pleased with him. When I was in early elementary school, I lived in Buffalo, New York. And in Buffalo, in our backyard, we had a lot of fruit trees, mostly pear and apple. And so one day, me and my younger brother, Jay, and my older sister, Jeannie, were in the backyard playing around. And Jay had climbed up on a fence and had picked up a pear. And about the time he got on that fence, our neighbor behind us had pulled in and he was drunk. Now, he was already angry at our family because some of our pear trees would dump their stuff on his yard, and he didn't like that. So as he pulled up, Jay took a pear and threw it in his yard. The guy reached down, picked up that pear, and whipped it at Jay, caught him in the temple, and knocked him off the fence. And that's what's wrong with Jay today. (laughs) Jay hit the ground. Jeannie went tearing into the house to get my dad. My dad came running out, screen door flew open. It's like he was, wasn't even running. It was just like he was gliding across the lawn. He saw that Jay was up and crying, so he knew he was okay. And with, with just one bound, he grabbed that fence and swung himself over and caught that guy before the guy could get into his house and nailed him up against the wall and began threatening him. He was defending his family. It freaked us out. I'd never seen my dad like that ever. It, just, it, it was just a weird thing. 
we thought, we didn't know what he was going to do, but he was sort of threatening and said, don't you ever touch my kids again, and I'll, and I'll do this. And he was being dad. Later in the day, my dad called the family meeting. And he began to explain to us, began to tell us. He said, I wanted, I was, I was protecting you today, but he said, the way that I did it was not the way that Jesus would do it. And I was wrong. He said, I've just come back from the neighbor's house. And I've asked our neighbor to forgive me. And he said he forgave me, and so we're going to be okay. And from that point on, I never, ever, ever, ever heard my dad say one bad thing about that guy behind us. In fact, he went out of his way to spend time with him. What we saw that day was this. We saw in that moment what maturity looks like. We saw uncontrolled words get tamed. We saw what it was to love our neighbor as ourself. My dad was not perfect, but what he did at that moment was absolutely perfect. And he taught us with his actions and his words. This week, how you packing your words? Words teach, limit them. I think sometimes we use the term, bite my tongue, do it. Words control, control them. Words are unruly. Tame them. You have the ability. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If we do that, we'll hear our Father applaud. Would you stand, please? So now may you, in this day and the days to follow, yield your will to his. May you submit your emotions to his guidance. May you take your thoughts and filter them through who he is. And may you find that the words you speak heal, build up, and give life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.